really all that encouraging, but it is a true life lesson nonetheless, and it's this, opposition always comes, like always, you can count on it, like anything you can be 100% sure of in this life, it is that opposition always comes, no matter who you are, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, no matter what your goal is, what your vision is, uh, what you're thinking, which direction that you're heading, there will always be detractors in every area of life, every single time. Here's another truth. Forward movement creates friction. This is why there's always detractors. There's always criticism. Forward movement, motion, creates friction every single time. Right? That's why we have oil for cars and gold bond for bodies. Movement creates friction. Motion creates friction. Just like that's true for cars and machines and bodies, that's true when you or I are trying to accomplish something. We're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to accomplish a certain goal. We're trying to move in a certain direction. There are always people who will criticize. It's good to know that before you begin, right? The only thing worse than criticism is being blindsided by criticism. If you don't see it coming, it's even more difficult to manage. So let me bring the bad news this morning. It's going to come. People love to criticize other people who are trying to accomplish something. And often, it's people who aren't trying to accomplish anything who are criticizing people who are trying to accomplish something. Ian mentioned it. Super Bowl is tonight. Go whoever you're cheering for, right? Good for them. Hope they win. Here's what's going to happen, though. If you're watching the Super Bowl, and especially if you're keeping up with uh, social media as you're watching the Super Bowl, here's what I can guarantee you is going to happen. Overweight men who are eating chicken wings and haven't played a sport since seventh grade are going to be criticizing Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes for four hours tonight. And if arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play in the NFL and the greatest young quarterback to currently play in the NFL, if those two people are going to get criticized, you're going to get criticized, right? You're going to have detractors. There are people who are going to think that you shouldn't or you couldn't or you should be doing it differently or they could do it better or you should listen to them or you should stop or you should give up. It is going to happen. We find this in the story of Nehemiah. This is a story we're studying right now. Old Testament, a couple of books before the book of Psalms. Uh, in the book of Nehemiah, there is this constant refrain of criticism. We haven't addressed it yet. It actually started earlier. We're in chapter 4, but the criticism started in chapter 2. I didn't bring it up in chapter 2 because I knew we were going to get to it in chapter 4. But let's just kind of jump back before we get to chapter 4. Let's jump back to Nehemiah chapter 2 and realize that the criticism, the detractors, they started from the very beginning. As soon as Nehemiah got to town... People were complaining. This is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come 
to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, Sambalot, Tobiah, they are officials, governors from regions in that area, close to where Jerusalem was. They, they rule other cities, they're governors over other cities, and they're disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites, which sounds like a pretty good thing to do, right? I mean, promote the welfare of anybody sounds like a compassionate thing to do, a generous thing to do. If you told me that you wanted to promote the welfare of someone or a group of someone's, my reaction would be, that's a pretty nice thing to do. Good for you. That's a compassionate thing to do. Sanballat and Tobiah decided they would criticize this effort to promote the welfare of the Israelites, which plays right into my thesis, which is this, no matter how noble your, atten- your intentions, someone will always criticize you. No matter how noble your intentions, no matter how good of a goal you have, somebody is always going to say you shouldn't do it. You could declare today that you're going to spend your life trying to find a cure for cancer, and somebody would tell you why you shouldn't do that. That's just human. It's just the way people are. No matter how noble your goal People are going to find a reason to criticize. This continues. This is verse 19 and 20 in chapter 2, end of verse 18. They replied, Nehemiah has just, you remember this from chapter 2, Nehemiah has just rallied all the people and said, hey, we're going to rebuild this wall. So the people replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. There it is again. This was a good thing. They began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Notice how in verse 2... There's two critics. By the time we get to verse 19, there's three critics. Here's what I have found. Critics find each other and run in packs, right? They're like wolves. They can smell out other negative critical people. They can find, then they all team up together. So two becomes three, and three becomes five, and five becomes ten. They all find everybody who's dissatisfied. They all kind of group up, and they pull all of their criticisms Together, and, and, and let's be honest, there is, a, there is a certain sense of superiority that comes with criticizing, isn't there? I mean, I think this is why it's so tempting for us, is because it, it makes us feel superior because we see all the problems. Well, I see the problems you don't see. I figured out how you're doing it wrong. Criticism, if we're not careful, feeds that sense of I'm smarter than you, right? I'm superior to you. I see things you don't see. I have insight that you don't have. And, and those type of people, they, they tend to group together. Now, now, one of their tactics, and we see it in this verse, one of their tactics is critics often question your motives. They question your motives. If you look back at what they said in verses... 19 and 20, they ask, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Is that what you're doing? Like, what are you up to? You're trying to get away with something here. 
We know that there's this whole reason. You're not telling everybody, but I'm smart enough to know that you are up to something. That's what critics do. They question why you're doing Question your motive. And one of the reasons that's so effective is it's almost impossible to convince somebody that your motives are right. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever had somebody question your motives when you didn't have wrong motives? It's almost impossible to convince them because they're sure that there's something you're not telling me. It's not like you can take your motive out of your pocket, right? And say, look, here it is. It's pure. Look at it. Turn it around. Turn it upside down. Here it is. Okay, are you convinced that my motives are pure? All right, I'll put it back. We can't do that. It's almost impossible to convince somebody that our motives are right. This is why this line of criticism is so effective. What are you up to? Other people don't see it, but I see it. I know you're up to something. This is the voice of the critic. Now, one of the, one of the most damaging aspects of that is if you are someone that's trying to accomplish something noble and good, if that's the type of person you are, if you are working for the welfare of another group of people, you probably already are unsure of yourself a little bit, right? You want to make sure you're doing the right thing for the right reason. And that voice of the critic, when they begin to question your motive, if you're not careful, you'll begin to question your motive, right? You'll go, am I really doing this for the right reason? Am I really this? Am I really? Critics have a way, we'll come to this again, critics have a way of playing on our insecurities, and surfacing our own fears about ourselves, our own questions about ourselves, and, and, and we'll get trapped in that. And look, those aren't necessarily bad questions. We, we all should examine our motives uh, from time to time. We, before we begin something, we should make sure we're wanting to do it for the right reason. The problem is with the critic, they are going to criticize anything that you do. They are going to find fault with anything that you do. And if you're constantly processing the voices of the critics, you're going to be ineffective. right? You're never going to accomplish the goal because you're always second-guessing yourself because you're hearing this voice over and over again. So Nehemiah's response, and we just read it, in this initial criticism Nehemiah just gives a short response and basically says, this has nothing to do with you. This has nothing to do with you. We are honoring God. We are obeying God. This has nothing to do with you. And he didn't let the criticism distract him from the calling that God had put in his heart. Now, here's something you and I have to remember about criticism and about critics. Criticism often says more about the criticizer than it says about the criticized. Criticism often is telling you what's going on in them. See, Sambalot and Tobiah, they're criticizing, they're complaining, but the reality is they don't want Jerusalem to be stronger. See, they've been benefiting from a weakened Jerusalem. They've been running things. Like, they've been in charge. They've been able to intimidate everybody. They've been able to set everything up the way they want it. And now their power is threatened. Right? Their authority has been threatened. 
So they're criticizing Nehemiah and the people, but the real issue is in them. When you and I are criticized, often the problem is not in us. There's something going on in the person that's doing the criticizing. All right, let's, let's jump over to chapter 4. This is verse 1, chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. When, when his initial criticism didn't shut down the project, his emotion ratcheted up, right? Now he's getting angry. Uh, verse 7, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, remember, they, they run in packs, right? Now, now there was three, now there's a whole bunch of them. When Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So just in these first couple of verses of, verse, of, of chapter 4, they were angry, they were greatly incensed, they were very angry. When that initial criticism doesn't slow things down, doesn't get you to stop, there is often a reaction on the side of the critic. What do you mean you didn't stop? Like, I explained to you why you should stop. I explained to you why you're doing it wrong. I told you that this was a bad idea. I told you that your motives are wrong. We had that conversation. What do you mean you're still building the wall? Right, that... Emotion shifts to anger. Because here's what critics expect. Critics expect everything to stop when they complain. They expect everything to come to a halt. Well, I told you what I thought. I told you why you should stop. You should have stopped. That should have been the end of it. Right? And, and obviously, there are right ways and wrong ways to handle critics, we don't want to fuel their anger. We don't want to respond in a way that's going to inflame their emotions. However, for many critics, just the fact that their criticism didn't stop you leads to greater emotion on their part, anger on their part. I don't understand. I explained it to you. Why did you keep going? Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 4 and pick up some of the context here. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stone. So wave after wave of criticism. Let me give you three general areas of how they tried to criticize. The first area, we're just going to put all three on the, on the screen. The critic will try to intimidate you. The critic will attack you personally. The critic will question your abilities. Like These are three, ta three tactics. They'll try to intimidate you. Then they'll make it personal. If that doesn't stop you, they'll attack you personally. 
And then they'll question your ability, whether you can really do this or not. Just leave those up. Let's talk about them. The critic will try to intimidate you. When the initial criticism didn't work, not only did they gather more critics, not, not only did they find other negative people, but apparently, according to what we just read, they brought the whole Samaritan army out. So now... If the workers were not intimidated when Sanballat and Tobiah were criticizing them, now they're doing their work day after day with the army just outside the fence. That's what critics do. When you don't respond to their criticism, when you don't give in to their criticism, they try to intimidate you. Well, this is what I could do if you don't change. Well, this is what might happen. They try to intimidate you. They, they, they try often to make their criticism sound larger than it is, like when you bring a whole army. Right? You, you've had people say to you, well, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about this, right? And a lot of people is probably two, right? It's like they're two best friends that are just as grumpy as they are, right? I know a lot. This is the tactic of the enemy. Of, of the critic. We, we want to try to intimidate you, think that you're going to be overwhelmed. That's exactly what Sambalot and Tobiah did. Second, the critic will attack you personally. Right? There were personal accusations in what we read. They ridiculed the Jews. They made fun of the Jews. Look at these feeble Jews. They can't do anything. They think they're going to be able to build a wall. That they'll never be able to do that. They're incompetent. They're foolish. They don't know what they're doing. It became personal. This, this can often be a difficult one to take. Uh, as a leader, as someone who's trying to accomplish something. Uh, because often the personal attacks come from places you didn't expect them to come. Like, why are you taking a personal jab? We can talk about this without making this such a personal thing towards one another. This is what the critic does when they feel like their criticism is not slowing you down. It becomes personal. And then third, the critic will question your ability. They're never going to be able to do that. They're, they're never going to be able to finish this wall. Even if they finish it, it's going to be so pathetic that even if a fox jumped on the wall, it would knock the whole thing down. Questioning our ability. And, and, and those three things, intimidating, making it personal, questioning your ability, those begin to cause questions in your mind after a while. I mean, when you hear it again and again, when that same attack comes again and again, it starts to play on your insecurities. Look, we all have them. Some of us have more than others, perhaps. Some of us think about them more than others think about them. We all have insecurities. And when you get this intimidation, this personal attack, this you're not capable, it plays on all of that. This is what critics like to do. They like to surface the insecurities and fears that are already there. The doubts you already had when you went into this. For most of us, when we start a big project, or we start something noble, something we feel God's called us to do, there are doubts at the beginning. We're already wondering if we can do this. 
God, am I the right one? Am I the right person? God, can I do that? I don't know if I have the ability. We already have some of that going on. And when the critic's voice gets loud, all of that surfaces. All of that comes up. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. Look at verse 10, Nehemiah chapter 4. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Right? The, the doubts are starting to surge. The doubts are starting to creep in. They're hearing these attacks day after day, and the Israelites are beginning to think, well, maybe they're right. Maybe this is foolish. Maybe they are going to attack us. Like maybe, maybe the army is going to come Maybe there are a lot of people against it. All of those doubts and fears begin to surface in the minds of the, the workers in Jerusalem. It starts to weigh on them. It starts to wear them out. And now they're thinking, maybe we should call this off. Verse 6 in Nehemiah 4 tells us that they're at the halfway point. They're at the halfway point of this project. The wall has been built to half its height. And, and I would suggest the halfway point's a really dangerous place. The halfway point of anything, the halfway point of any project, the halfway point of any goal is a really dangerous place because you've accomplished some things. Like you've seen some progress, but you're also tired. Like there's a part of you that's celebrating, yay, we're halfway through. And there's a part of you that's saying, oh my, we've got to do all of that again. We've got to do twice that. We've got to do the work all over again. The halfway point has this encouraging but also this discouraging moment in it. Um, I used to run longer races and... In, in longer running races, some of the races are what they call out-and-back races. And what that means is you run half of the race out, and then you turn around, and you run the second half back. <clears throat> and when you get out, when you get to the halfway point, you have, this, you have this celebration, yay, I'm halfway, and then your brain says, yeah, but you're out of gas, and you got to do all of that again. You're only halfway. Right? There's the, yay, we're halfway, and then there's, no, this is only halfway. Halfway is a, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a place where doubts surface. It, it, it's a place where you're tempted to say, okay, maybe this is enough. I mean, we, we got halfway. This is pretty good. Maybe we take a break. Maybe we pause, come back in a month, six months, a year. We come back later, and we finish Halfway is a time that is ripe for giving out of gas, for fatigue, especially when the voice of the critic is loud in your ear. Look at verse 4. How does Nehemiah respond? Verse 4. Hear us, our God. 
for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. When the critics' voices were loud, Nehemiah's first response was to pray. Nehemiah prays. When he's feeling the weight, the intimidation, the personal attacks of the critics, Nehemiah's first response is, God, we need your help. God, we need you. God, we, God, we realize fresh and new that we need you in order to accomplish this. We need you to stand against our critics. We need you. If the critic's voice is loud in your ears, pray. Pray. But that's not all Nehemiah does. Nehemiah prays, but Nehemiah also adjusted his plans. Nehemiah prays, and Nehemiah adjusted his plans. He knew that there are some things that I can do to mitigate the negative effects of the critics. There are some things that I need to do to inspire confidence in the people because they're beginning to lose heart. They're beginning to question this part. I need to respond so that they have confidence. This is verse 9. But we pray to our God. So Nehemiah prays individually. The people pray together. But we pray to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We prayed, but we posted a guard too. We put somebody on watch. We knew the critics were still there, and we prayed, and we kept praying. We posted a guard, too. Uh, there are times in the midst of life, in the midst of a project, in the, in the midst of a goal, of an accomplishment, when you need to pray, but you need to post a guard, too. You have someone, you have some people, you have a group that is raining criticism, criticism down on you and you need to put some separation between you and them. You need, you need to post a guard. You need to get away from that attack. You need to take action to step back so those voices aren't the loudest voices in your life. You need to pray. You need to post a guard too. He changed his plans in some other ways too. The best leaders know they have to adjust course mid-project sometimes. The, the, the best leaders know that, yes, I need a plan going in, but all along I'm going to have to assess, I'm going to have to rearrange, I'm going to have to adjust some things as we go through, we won't read it. You can read the rest of the chapter later on. But, but we find Nehemiah stations guards, stations people in the parts of the wall that are the lowest. Right. So wherever there are gaps, the, the easy places for the enemy to come in, Nehemiah said, we're going to put people right there until we get that, that section rebuilt. We're going to station people along the way. He would have half of the people working, right? This is a change. Half of you are going to work, half of you are going to face out, and you're going to guard the people who are working. We're going to make that change because the people needed to feel confident that the critics weren't going to over 
take them. The people who were carrying materials, you, you, you read this section, they would carry the materials in one hand, they'd carry a sword in the other hand. Everybody who worked had a sword by their side. Nehemiah got a trumpet player. He told everybody, when you hear the trumpet, everybody run to the sound of the trumpet and we will defend our city. He came up with strategies, mid-course adjustments, because of the negative work of the critics. Sometimes you're halfway in and you've got to shift things around. Right? There's criticism from places you didn't expect it to come from. You've got to move some things. Instead of backing off because of the criticism, Nehemiah reinforces the work that he's trying to accomplish. One more thing. Nehemiah challenged the people to remember the Lord and remember the mission. As they were beginning to get weary, as they were beginning to feel burdened, weighed down, Nehemiah pointed them back to God and Nehemiah said, don't forget why we started all of this. Don't forget why we're doing this. This is verse 14. After I looked things over, which if, if you lead anything, you understand the importance of that. Right? The whole time we're making progress, Nehemiah is constantly assessing. He's constantly looking things over. What changes do we need to make? What do we need to improve? What needs to be done different? He's constantly assessing the state of the project. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. If you were here when we started this series, you remember I said that one of the overarching themes of Nehemiah was this loss of identity among the people. They had forgotten they were the people of God. They had forgotten they were the chosen people of God. They grew up in exile. They grew up in rubble. They had forgotten we are the heirs to the family of God. We belong to God. He is our God. We are His people. He is powerful and great. And when the criticism started, this got even worse. So Nehemiah stands up and says, Don't be afraid of of them. Our God is great and awesome. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to the voice of the critic, the detractor, the one who's trying to throw you off what God has called you to do. Don't listen to them. Your God is great and awesome. Your God is powerful. Remember the Lord our God. Don't listen to them. And God may be saying that to some of us today. Don't listen to them. Stop listening to the voice of the critic that's trying to pull you away from what God has called you to do. Don't listen to them. And, and don't forget why we started this whole project. Nehemiah says... Fight for your families. 
stand up for your sons and your daughters and your families and the people next to you and your friends. That's why we started this whole thing. And we're going to finish it. Regardless of what the critics are saying, we are going to finish this. Because our God is great and awesome. This has been a tough year. I keep saying it. This has been a tough year for people and families and relationships and churches. This has been a difficult year. The critics have been loud. The accusers have been loud. The distractions have been loud. And if Nehemiah were here today, he would say to all of us, don't listen to them. God has called you to a work for His kingdom. God has called you to be a people. His people. Like never before, perhaps. Our world is in need of Jesus' people. Our world is in need of men and women and students and kids who will live out the character and grace and love of Jesus in this world. Don't listen to people who would keep you from that. Don't listen to them. For your God, the God who called you and redeemed you and sent His Son for you, your God is great and awesome. And powerful. Even when the critics are loud. Pray with me. I, I want to I ask. If today. You're hearing the voice of the critic. In whatever area of your life. If you're feeling opposition, detractors, people pointing fingers. If the the circumstances of life are are pressing in with criticism, or maybe there is a critic inside of you that just won't be quiet. There's a critic inside of you that is always second-guessing you, always telling you that you're not able, you're not good enough, no one would ever, you're not going to be able to. Wherever that voice is coming from, if that's you today, would you just raise your hand and say, man, I'm hearing the voice of the critic. I'm hearing the detractor. Yes, yes, God, you know, you know what each of these people are hearing and dealing with and experiencing. And you want to say to them today, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Your God is awesome and powerful. Your God is building something in your life. Don't listen to them. Jesus came. We read the Gospels. He didn't listen to the critics. He didn't listen to the detractors. He was about his father's business. He was committed to the kingdom. Remind us today and tomorrow and the days that are to come. Our God is great 
and awesome. We could trust Him. We can build with Him. He is empowering us for the future. Remind us why we started this whole thing. Remind us of the families, the sons and the daughters and the friends and the people who need to see Jesus lived out in our lives. We are called to this mission. So let us be found faithful. Let us focus our eyes and hearts and lives on Jesus who will not fail us. I pray it in His name. Amen. Go back to the beginning Can't control what tomorrow will bring But I know here in the middle Is the place where you promised Faithfulness, not for a minute. 
card for us. Um, while you're there, um, if you came prepared to give, you can do that in a couple different ways. You can do that um, through the offering basket, through those double doors, and drop it on your way out. You can do that through our website, Welcome to Journey. You can do that through the Version app, and then you can also text GIVE to that same number, 470-450-4775, and you'll get a link to fill out your giving through there. Uh, our one thing that we'd like to announce and get out there and promote it, is our Dean Out weekend for our students. It's going to be March 5th and 6th, and so you can sign up for that now. You can do that also by texting events to that same number, 470-450-4775. And so you can sign up there. You can also sign up for summer camp there too. But um, March 5th and 6th is our Dean Out. It's going to be called Build this year. Got a great speaker in worship coming in. If you have any questions, you can ask me. The main thing that is different this year is that we are in the interest of everything going on. We are not going to be having host homes this year, and so we're not going to be, we don't want to put that burden on families to invite kids into their house and have to think about 
all those different things. And so um, in order to put on the entire weekend the best we can, we feel like we want to take that risk out of the equation and not have family, not have our students stay in host homes. So, so they'll come Friday at 6, they'll leave Friday night at 10, and then they'll come back Friday morning, and we'll spend all day together here from 10 to 10 and hang out and do a lot of awesome stuff. So I'm excited for the weekend. If you have any questions, you can ask me about that, and I would love to fill you in on all those gaps the best that I can. So, But the biggest thing is go ahead and get your kids signed up for that weekend. It'll be $50. It's going to be an awesome, awesome weekend, March 5th and 6th. So that is all I have next week is Valentine's Sunday. Sunday. Ooh, had a little choke there. It's Valentine's Sunday. Um, we got some fun stuff planned for that, so you're not going to want to miss that. Invite a friend and be here for that. So we will see y'all next Sunday. Bye.
morning comes like an enemy soldier I feel the weight across my shoulder I feel the shadows getting colder That ain't you This noose ain't getting any looser I get so fearful about the future I hear the shame of my accuser But that ain't you Hey!